Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 174. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Tell them quickly because we have some blockbuster shows coming up on the horizon to wrap up 2023. We had some big ones over the last few weeks. I hope you can enjoy them. They're always available in the Soccer OG library where all podcasts are available. Coming up on this week's episode in the business end, we will be joined by sporting director of St. Louis City, Lutz Fannenstiel. That'll be in the business end. We will talk about a great many things. We are in the throes of the MLS Cup playoffs. St. Louis have a big game coming up to keep their season afloat after finishing first in the West. But Lutz has changed the game here. He has built something incredible in St. Louis. They're packing their incredible venue there. We'll talk about building a club, building the sport here developing players locally with an eye on the international game and a general question about how we move here in the United States because Lutz has seen it all. He has played on six continents, 17 different teams. Unofficially, he'll answer that. I think it's 17. And it's an incredible resource to have here. You're going to really enjoy that conversation coming up in the business end. Check complete. News breaking that the Saudi Arabian bid will be the sole one for 2034. It would appear the World Cup is going to Saudi Arabia that year. It will be the second Middle Eastern. It will be the second sole um, one-country bid in the last 12 years, both from Middle Eastern countries. We'll talk about that, what it means moving forward. It's really interesting. I'm not here to rip up uh, the Saudi bid because I think it's a good one. Just so happens it's coming in here in a very unique spot. So that'll be in check complete. We'll have all the details on that. Coming up on the rundown, it's MLS Cup playoff times. A lot of people are complaining. I'm I'm curious as to why, but enough of my yapping now. Let's get into it. It's the Soccer OG, and it starts right now. And we are back time here. I was in Seattle for the MLS Cup playoff game. Seattle-Dallas was my assignment. I'll be traveling over the weekend, Friday, for Dallas-Seattle leg two and potentially a game three in Seattle. And uh, by the way, Seattle's an amazing place. And every time I go there, I was there in Labor Day and I was here, you know, right before Halloween and everyone's going to enjoy it now because the bad weather's coming. We know the bad weather's coming. But it seems like it's pushed back sometimes. And maybe we get more great weather. When I say great weather, it was in the 30s. But it was that incredible temperature where you, you roll out, you, you feel that air in your nose, and you just wake up. You're ready for the day. And beautiful visuals, clear skies of Mount Rainier and Elliott Bay. You know, these ferries coming in. Go visit Seattle. Whether you're on the West Coast or not, there's a lot of fun stuff to do. Highly recommend it. Uh, we'll see if I get back up there. But before I get to the MLS Cup playoffs, yes, Lionel Messi wins his eighth Ballon d'Or. Incredible achievement. If you've tuned into the Soccer OG in the past, you know me and individual awards in team sports just don't go together. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you how game-changing it is like everyone else is doing. I don't know how you quantify these awards. Yeah, was he the best? And then Emmy Martinez wins the goalkeeper award. Were they the best players all year? Were they? I'm not saying there was a better one, but (laughs) how are we to vote? But this all came down to winning the World Cup. So it's not the Ballon d'Or. It's almost an addendum to winning the World Cup. I I just don't care for these awards. And I don't want to diminish them. Enjoy them if you'd like. It's just more accolades, more just 
worship for Lionel Messi, where it seems like we're doing it all the time. And by the way, I love Lionel Messi, and I am thrilled that he's here, and I'm so excited that he is going to be a big reason why Major League Soccer is going to grow in a very positive way. I can't wait for the offseason. I know other players are looking at what Messi's doing and saying, I want to be part of that. Even with the Saudi League, which we we're going to talk about in a little bit, looming and bringing in the big bucks and getting everyone to go over there. I truly believe MLS will be creative in building up these teams. There's a lot of clubs that are going to have money and want to find those players. I think Seattle is at a, is the Sounders are very interesting because two of their big players, Raul Ruiz Diaz and Nico Lodero, may be time to move on. Chicago's already spent a ton of money. Chicago spent a ton of money and it hasn't worked out. Maybe they have to keep going. The Galaxy are going to be active. So maybe you're not going to get a Messi, but uh, the Messi effect will reign supreme. But, you know, and I'm not just picking on the Ballon d'Or. The dumbest individual award is the Heisman Trophy in college football. You're giving an award to a player. And like this year, tell me who the best player in college football is or who, tell me who's going to win that Heisman. No one knows. It's, there isn't, there's no one to give it to. And this is a sport where you're on the field half the time. Really, a quarter of the time, many cases. So, I don't want to poo-poo all of them. I just don't understand why we go all bonkers about them. They mean nothing. They mean nothing in the big picture. Some people are getting upset. I'm not going to talk about The Rock's Halloween costume as David Beckham, although it was creative. Happy Halloween to everyone. Uh, one thing that the I was really touched by, and I don't, they didn't do this on purpose. And look, there was MLS Cup play-up. Maybe they did. MLS Cup opening round were on... Saturday, Sunday, was there an earlier game? I think there was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. No games on Tuesday, which was Halloween. And there is a game on Wednesday. So the Columbus and Atlanta, or Atlanta who were traveling, were the only team that weren't able to spend Halloween with their families. And these are young players. They have young families. And you want to go out on Halloween with your kids. And I have friends who have kids. And I say, enjoy it. Take a lot of photos. Because I have one child, and as he's gotten older... We still look at those photos of him when he was younger and those things I, I every year. And it's very special. And so you don't want to miss those moments where you get to dress up with your kid. The kids light up because they they're, they can't believe someone's just giving them candy. Because, no, we don't give them candy at home like that. And then one day they get as much as they want. So uh, I'm glad the players got to enjoy that. I spoke to Brian Schmetzer of the Sounders and he said, yeah, that was important. Because they asked us what day we wanted to play and we said, we can't play Sunday because the Seattle Seahawks are there. Uh, Saturday we can't because they're preparing it. So we have to play Monday because we don't want to play Tuesday because the guys want to be with their families. So Halloween does have a sports angle. And we see that. So many people dress up as athletes. I'm glad the Ted Lasso thing has run its course. I can't see any more Ted Lasso costumes. I'm sure they were out there. But, you know, people always want to be creative. And that's an easy costume to pull together, right? So... Very cool uh, about that. Uh, I think I touched on this last podcast. We talked it with Eli Lesser. You know, a lot of people critical of the new MLS Cup playoff format. Are there parts of it I'm not crazy about? Sure. And I want to say this up front because people and players have been criticizing it and they're saying it's wrong. And they go, this is the bottom line. And this is why it's 100% right. And we're talking about FIFA later. And FIFA does this too. All this soccer is about increasing inventory, games, uh, shows. So 
whether that's right or wrong, because the big issue maybe is too many games for these teams. And that argument goes out because these MLS Cup teams in the playoffs, these MLS teams in the Cup playoffs, are given five days, if not seven or eight days between games. So it's not the heavy workload. So they can't really bring that up. They could have done it earlier. We've heard it a lot. Apple TV, the big, the two big in streams of income for soccer, or specifically for MLS for this argument's sake, is TV money, and in, specifically for MLS, the new clubs coming in, which drop, what, half a billion dollars to get a new team. That's money spread throughout the league. Uh, that money will go away because there's going to be less and less new teams, but that has allowed MLS to grow in a very positive way. We have seen it. It's been slow, but it has been positive. So you have that. Now, the, when that goes away, the one big stream of money that's coming in is what you get from your broadcast partners. Everything for MLS is under Apple, which paid over 10 years $2.5 billion, so a, a tag that MLS could have only dreamt of. Uh, there are there are other inventory streams, obviously, uh, on, on a smaller picture when you talk about gate coming into the games, partners where uh, every club has shows. Some of that went away because of the Apple TV deal because some of their local broadcasts were sponsored by a, a local Ford dealership or uh, a legal firm. And all that's money coming in. So they have to balance the books there for MLS. But right now, the big income is... Apple TV. They want as many games as possible, right? Because that all goes into their library. And that is, you know, I can't tell you that officially. I've just been in this business long enough. That is what is in play here. So it's not, they're not trying to be mad scientists. They want to create more inventory, just like the Premier League does, just like the Champions League does. They're growing, just like the World Cup does. They're growing, 48 teams. So they're not going against the grain. They're doing what everyone else is doing. CONCACAF does this. So everyone's arguing, but there's a perfectly good reason for it. And uh, the games have been played and people are still arguing. And I'm like, did you even watch these games? They were really good. They were really good. I was in Seattle, man. It was magic to see that place, 35,000, 36,000, back in the postseason after missing it last year. It was electric, setting up the second leg. It's a best of three. I know, home and away. And this is the other thing. We're always, like, comparing ourselves to other leagues. And that's why the pro-rel comes up. And the, the home and away works. Away goals. I go, yeah, it works. doesn't work always. It's not always that exciting. Why are we always compelled to do what everyone else is doing? Right? It's, uh, it works, but... MLS has always been true to being American or North American. And why not try a best of three? Again, I'm not crazy about it. It is a lot. Talking about aggregate goals. Okay. Another concept that has worked uh, in the past uh, outside of the United States. But, you know, maybe here it, uh, we go a little differently. Both both have their positives, both have their negatives. We've complained about away goals. We've complained about uh, goal aggregates all the time. So uh, even though away goals are going, have gone, right, in a lot of competitions, most competitions. So they're doing something differently. It, this is this compelling nature of American media to go, oh, well, well, they're doing this and we should do enough. 
And I'll have a conversation about ProRel because I like ProRel. And I think MLS, as it grows, may need to do it just to have a stronger first division of, say, 20 teams as opposed to 30 teams. So we'll have that. But this constant and complaining about it before they even kicked off, it is... Um, it's, uh, you're missing it. Just watch it and then complain afterwards. The game is in Cincinnati and St. Louis where the first home games for both those clubs in MLS Cup playoffs were sensational. Not so for St. Louis. And again, we'll be speaking to Lutz von Steel here about the American game. But the, the city was electric. The stadium was electric. They just lost the game. But it was worth watching what happened in Cincinnati. Packed house, won the game, worth watching. LAFC and Philadelphia Union, the two MLS Cup finalists, they laid a marker down, victorious in their first legs over the Vancouver Whitecaps and New England. I mentioned the Seattle. Houston had a game winner in the 80th minute. Orlando had an incredible game winner from uh, Willy Cartagena, uh, which made you know uh, its run on a lot of the best of top 10 type things. So it's all very good. And uh, it is, it's, 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 it was, before complaining about it, it's good to let it vet out, and then we can complain about it. But I think after seeing this, you're not going to complain. This has been good. MLS playoffs never resonated. Well, they're resonating at least a bit here. Are people watching it all the time on Apple TV? Probably not. But Apple TV's in for the long haul, hoping that more and more people will get into it uh, as an alternative to sports that may have gotten a little bit stale. We shall see. And everyone talks about increasing inventory. Why aren't people critical of the English game? If anyone watched the Carabao Cup, it's awful. No one cares. It's been there for years. You know, it just stays there. None of these clubs really care about it. Case in point, Ipswich Town, who are second in the championship, their goal is set on promotion. They made 11 changes to their lineup for their Carabao Cup game. They don't care. West Ham doesn't care. Arsenal doesn't care. They all have bigger fish to fry. It's a nice competition if you can get to the semifinals. But right now, it's like, but where's the criticism for the Carabao Cup? Why is it always MLS that gets the criticism? I know why. So it's been it's been exciting. I, I, I kind of went on the rundown a little bit longer. I want to get into the interview with Lutz Van Steel. Joining me in the business end, stick around. You're going to learn a lot. This is a guy we're very fortunate to have him here in the United States and a guy we could lean into. And another reason I think this league is going to get better because we have smart uh, and forward-thinking avant-garde people with Major League Soccer. Stick around later for Check Complete. We'll talk about this Saudi Arabia 2032 World Cup. It is happening We'll give you the positives and negatives and and what it means moving forward, because I think that's the big story here. An interesting article from Gab Marcotti on ESPN uh, about what this means, and I'll paraphrase from him a little bit. Check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. I have an excellent video that I think you will like currently up there that talks about why the U.S. men's national team will never win a World Cup. I ended on a very negative note. But maybe there's a little bit of a data coming up that gives them gives them an opportunity. Soccer OG rolls on. Rate, review, download, subscribe. The business end with Lutz Funnensteel is next. Welcome back. We roll into the business end with a very special guest, a man you've probably seen and heard 
Um, at some point during this MLS season, Lutz Fannenstiel, who is the sporting director of St. Louis City, and Lutz, I say that because you're very visible, and I think that is fantastic for a sporting director or a coach to be able to get out there with the media because otherwise the media can kind of make some assumptions on what's happening, and you get out there and do it. What, what have you enjoyed? Because I've seen you on podcasts. I've seen you on radio, Sirius XM, talking, and you hear it from the source. But why is that important to you? Yeah, I think I'm uh, used to it because, uh, you know, I worked before in the Bundesliga where it's pretty pretty normal that, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say that I'm that visible like I used to be in Germany where you're much more much more out there in the public. Uh, uh, sporting directors in the Bundesliga, they're also sitting on the bench, you know, which is which is also not not allowed here, unfortunately. Uh, so it's more like uh, I think it's more like a cultural thing, um, uh, yeah. And plus, I I did a lot of media before. I still do media now. I still do Bundesliga for ESPN and and other TV channels international. So uh, for me, it's pretty normal. I would say you would want to sit on the bench if the the league allowed. I can't believe I didn't know that, but you would want to be there if that was possible. Yeah, I sat basically all my life on the bench, uh, you know, in, in, in Hoffenheim and then, of course, in Düsseldorf as well. So it's, uh, for me, actually kind of weird not to be on the bench. It took me some time. I even was last year in the next pro I sat on the bench uh, because it was not an MLS rule, so it was different. Um, so for me, I found it quite hard to 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 figure it out, uh, how to how to watch a game, not <laughs> down there on the bench. Um, yeah, I think I, I found I found a way now to 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 still you know enjoy it, but uh, also I think it's you do sometimes see much more when you're very high up uh, and see more from the bird perspective than you down at, at at field level. So I, I try to find some positives on it. Oh, brilliant! By the way, does that help you? Because uh, I've, I've listened to you with Derek on uh, doing the Bundesliga on ESPN Plus and. Just broadcasting in general, does that help you with your job? Because I would say when I'm watching soccer football, even live, there's nothing like it being engaged on a monitor and watching it in that space where you the game can't escape you. You see it. Does, does that help you in, in what you do for uh, St. Louis or just help you in, in building your soccer mentality? It does help me a lot in general scouting, you know, uh, usually when you when you do comment on a game and you have the right equipment, you're not just seeing one one angle. You have a few different monitors and everything like that, which makes it easier. Um, yeah, I mean, also in the past, uh, when, when I was a CEO, a sporting director in the Bundesliga, I kept on doing that with other leagues in the Premier League, for example, to to actually get a deeper a deeper dive into the detail, as you said. Uh, it, it definitely helps me. On the other hand, it somehow it sounds a bit funny, but it kind of relaxes me. Uh, it's um, <laughs> it's the, the fun thing I do. Apart when I work in football, I don't see that as a work. It's kind of a yeah, a little bit of a fun entertainment. I mean, I did with Derek probably two hundred games or two hundred fifty games so far in the last ten years, uh, or even longer. So it's it's for me something a nice Friday or Saturday or Sunday. A little bit of a different kind of perspective on football, you know. You can talk a little bit more casual things, which I obviously would not say uh, watching an MLS game. Uh, but uh, for me, the most important part is that I get to look, I get a deeper look onto individual players or also individual uh, tactical things. Um, how does a, a team implement certain things? But especially when it comes to new players, 
I mean, uh, a guy like Edu Leuven, for example, who is here now. I did so many games on him before also really? on TV. I just learned much more than you just doing a, like making a scouting report or looking at highlights. So sometimes it's a bit more the mentality, what you feel on the field, or sometimes when I'm flying over to Germany to do it actually live from this from the stadium. Uh, it just gives you, I think, a little bit more of uh, emotional uh, knowledge about it. That's a great answer. And uh, we're big fans of Edu Loban. I When I go to do St. Louis games, I always like to go down the field so I can shake his hand because his hand is like a catcher's mitt on baseball. He's got a, he's, he's just a big, strong fella. And I'm like, I'm just, he's done wonderfully. And I'm glad you said that about the broadcasting because as, as I do it myself, uh, if I didn't have that, I would, I would be, have a nervous breakdown. It is such a, it's not, some, I won't say relaxing, but it is a very um, comfortable place to be. And to do what you love, watching football and being able to comment on it. Uh, I'm surprised more people don't. I'm surprised more coaches and sporting directors aren't rolling around the corner. Maybe after this podcast, they'll hear about it, Lutz, and they'll start calling up ESPN and they'll, they'll want to take your job. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody can take the Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> no, they won't. You're, you and Derek are fantastic. And again, when you put all those games up together, it's uh, it, it's it gives you that clout, but obviously being your, your success as a sporting director. And because we've seen you on, uh, on media, uh, some frequently and for my audience, maybe they haven't heard of it, but your, your playing background is really unique, almost singular in the fact that you, you played on six continents. How, you, do you remember how many clubs you've played, played with during your career? Yeah, there's lots of different information out there, but actually it was 25 clubs. 25 clubs uh, yeah. all over the world. 25 clubs, uh, 11 or 12 countries, and uh, yeah, six confederations, which are the, the six continents you just mentioned. That is, That has to help you tremendously. I mean, we talk about the broadcasting where it can open up, but to be able to have those experience. What was... Once you were getting into these clubs, I imagine you wanted to, to take that next step as being a sporting director. What were the the best ways of absorbing whatever it was, culture of uh, the the game that they play in New Zealand or they play in in Germany or in South America? What what was the key for you to make those each club you went to where you could get the most out of it? It's a great question. Um, so, I mean, you know, when I stopped playing, I became straight away a coach. Uh, I was a coach to the national team and and I enjoyed it a lot, but I realized through the network I built in, in, in recent years uh, when it comes to recruitment, scouting, or uh, being a sporting director, uh, it's probably uh, a, a better fit for me. I think there is lots of good coaches out there, but having that unique uh, experience I had, when I learned so much of it because, you know, people believe they're going on a holiday for a week somewhere or for two weeks and then like, well, I know how life in Brazil is, uh, but trust me, it's it's very different. Uh, so if you manage to live like in, in 12 countries or, or, or more, um, for me, I, I created a word, it's, it's called inter, in, intercultural competence. And that means for me, uh, lots of different things, like how do I talk to a player? How do I integrate a player from a certain country? Like if, for example, let's talk about Blom, South African. I played in South Africa myself. I know the culture in South Africa very well, also the football culture. So getting him into, into the US, uh, how do I make his life or his transition into a complete different culture? How do I make it as easy as possible 
uh, and obviously I can help him because I did it exactly the other way around. So I know roughly the way he thinks. Um, same with Brazilians, same a lot with the Scandinavian boys. I played a long time in Scandinavia, but also when we negotiate, when I negotiate with a sporting director from Sweden or from Norway, I have a, well, basically I know what he's going to tell me because wow, I basically was a player there and I spoke to the same guy probably 15 years before. Uh, which negotiated with me or with my agent something. So it gives me just um, a little bit of that uh, that extra edge to know in what culture an agent or a player or a club representative, how they think, uh, what they're trying to get out of it in the end. What are the most important things they focus on? It's sometimes very different what 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 the other the other party focuses on. So it just helped me a lot uh, on that part, number one, but B and maybe more important, uh, you know, being successful in my position is a lot of the magic word networking. Like, I think you can call call me any country in the world and I would look into my phone and I would get one guy <laughs> which is very high in a club or in a, an association or as an agent or whatever. And I would know within 30 minutes every detail I want to know about a player in a very small country on any continent you ask me to. That helps me a lot creating relationships from the past or in the past who now would call me and say, hey, there is this super talent here, for example, in New Zealand or in, in, in the north of Norway. I'm sometimes getting that call maybe two, three days earlier than another club or than another guy. And that sometimes helps me a lot to, to also identify talent, not because I am that smart or I have the best eye in the world, but maybe I had 24 hours earlier to look at the kit and uh, also look with my scouting department uh, exactly over it, analyze it and come out with a, an information a little bit faster than other people. That's pretty groundbreaking, Lutz. And I, I know many people can't duplicate playing for as many clubs as you have and playing all over the world. And that gives you an edge. But many people do that and don't use that edge. And you just said the north of Norway, South Africa, Brazil, and, you know, the networking is a lesson I think we all can get into in any walk of life that helps you um, do your job. But the one thing that's interesting is they're all, it's all very interesting. But to me, I I put my myself in the shoes of Jabulo Blom and coming from South Africa to St. Louis has to be terrifying. Um, he must've known nothing, but you are the conduit to kind of sell them on that and put more than anything, put them at ease. How valuable is that when you see that moment with the player where they, I don't know about MLS. I don't know about St. Louis City. I'm here in the north of Norway. I'm in uh, Porto Alegre, Brazil, with Jao Klaus. How they? This is the one thing I've noticed, Lutz. When I see these players and I've covered them, they look comfortable here. But that can't be that easy to do. No, I mean with Blom, obviously, you know, there was this the secret, uh, uh, or the secret source. There was obviously Bradley Carnell because he's South yes. African. So yeah. I mean, he was able not just to talk to me, but he basically talks to his. Uh, his, 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 his country fellow man uh, who was a legend who played for the national team. So that was an easy one. You know, that was an easy one, I would say. But uh, yeah, even some of the bigger guys, like, I mean, like 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 Klaus, you know, I took him to Hoffenheim when he was 18. He's more like uh, a little bit, uh, like he calls me, he calls me Papa. So it's Aww. a lot of the kids since he's really, since he's a, well, a teenager in the end of the day. And to get him over here, I mean, yeah, you need to have um, a little bit of a sales pitch, uh, of course, because some of the guys don't know St. Louis. They don't know really the league that well. And um, 
the way we did it, I think, um, you know, it's it's not not just me. I mean, uh, forget about course, that, course. about the people you have around you. And we created, a, for example, like a document, like a presentation about about our playing style, our club, but also the city of St. Louis. So it's something uh, a player looks at and uh, you do catch the fire or you don't. Um, so far, the guys we did select, we wanted to talk to most of them. They did catch the fire and ended up here. So there was not actually many player or hardly any player which we wanted, which we didn't get. But it has a lot to do also with the relationship. If you if 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 the kids or the boys trust you, you know, if they if they if they know you are genuine, if they know uh, what we're going to do on the field is also you know we all based on hard work. The Midwest. The Midwest is um, it, it's blue color. It's it's hardworking. It's modest. It's down to earth. Uh, that's what we what we what we want to represent. You know, we could have had. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean it disrespectful to our players. You know, but we could have had maybe players who were in certain elements a little bit better and a bit more fancy. But we don't need the the fancy the fancy super dribbler. We need the guy who fits to our playing style and our eleven. 17, 18, 25, 27 guys, they really complement each other. So these guys, they're working for each other. We, I mean, I said it a thousand times and I know people hate it when I say it, but I keep on saying it because I just simply believe in it. We just, we don't, we have a D, we have two DPs on a piece of paper, but we don't have a DP. We don't have a player with a DP salary. We have players who are, are one group. It's a team sport. I don't like that stamp on the back of somebody's head. I'm a DP or I'm a this or I'm that or I'm a I'm an X5 or whatever. It's not the case. You are a member of a team and you're there to do a job. And there is players with higher salaries and players with higher expectations and players with more experience in bigger leagues. And there is younger players who played in smaller leagues. There is homegrown players that's all fine. But the category uh, uh, DP for us no, I still believe in my designated team. Uh, you know, I sat there and I knew that people were pissed off about it till today. <laughs> and I and I still I still stick with this idea. I still really believe in that. And I think everybody who was a little bit pissed off about it, I think they, they also have now after 34 match games have to say, well, the way they did it and the way they thought can't be too wrong because this team is fun to watch. This team has a good chemistry and we also won a few games. You you find the right players. Part of it is all because this, the the pressing style that you have is is very demanding. What how is that communicated with the players? Go this is what is required because they all are on board and they love to do it. Yeah, it's the key. The key is that uh, the, you know we only sign a player who's hundred percent bought in. So we do of course a lot of work when it comes to scouting, but it, the the personality which just follows that up what I said is is, is the most important part. If you hundred percent in and you you're willing to work for ninety plus minutes and help out uh, the guy who plays on in front of you or on the side of you or the guy who comes on for the last twenty minutes, it's all about our our pressing style based on on a lot of transitions. The way we do it, it's very physical. It's very demanding. Um, you know, if if you are a lazy player or if you're a little bit of an artist, Saint Louis is not. The right, uh, the right address for you, to be honest. And this is a very clear communication we have with the players. And yeah, Bradley said it uh, in another show. Uh, uh, I don't remember the word. Was it um, everybody's nobodies? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I remember something, him coining something, something like that. Yeah, in that line. And and this is a this is a way. You know, I mean, we do have a few players who who simply did not make the big cut in other teams. 
Yeah. But we saw something in them that they do fit very well to us. We gave them the opportunity and all these guys, they didn't just step one step up. Some of them stepped three or four steps up and they, they showed that they are good MLS players. They are players who can play for many other teams as well. It's all about opportunities and it has to do with, with the mentality, with the DNA, with the playing style, with the philosophy. You can give it a hundred names of that, but it all has to do not just with your body. It has a lot to do with your head. You really want to be involved in that. You buy in a hundred percent, you put the extra piece of work in and you're willing to, to die out there on the field. Well, then I think you're a good fit for us. Well, Lutz, it's been amazing to see those players because I, and it made me think, because I see Sam Adeneran, who's re rejuvenated with your club, AZ Jackson, who's just a delight to watch, to see him playing for that club. And these are guys that were kind of, for lack of a better expression, slipping through the cracks. And and I wonder how many guys do slip through the cracks and we never get them to see that, but they were able to land here with St. Louis. So that's an incredible uh, development. You've mentioned St. Louis as blue collar and perhaps we change the designation for DP and we change the way because of the work that you and many others are putting in. This is still a, a, a league that's in diapers. We're, we're, we're working to get there and we need some know-how. We need some help along the way. But when you see where we are as a league, and uh, where you can go, where is that potential? Where is the ceiling you think that this league can get and how quickly perhaps can they get there when it's done the right way? Yeah, I think uh, the future is really bright, you know? I mean, uh, coming from the Bundesliga, having a very, very good benchmark, uh, what's happening internationally. Um, I think the way the league improved uh, the last five, seven years uh, was tremendous. Um, I think it gets better every year. Now, of course, with Messi, you having another another big uh, push forward, you know, Messi is, well, Messi is Messi. There is no other explanation. I think that's, that's enough said about, about him. You know, he just lifts us all up. Uh, so no doubt about it. But um, also the players getting younger, uh, the players uh, coming over here in, I would say, just before they reach their prime. Um, we wanted to have hungry players, not guys who are telling me, well, I've been there, I've done that. You know, then, uh, yeah, you're coming here and, you kind of like play to to have some fun and play a little bit. Now that's not what I want. I want a guy who still wants and have the ambition to to make the next step and and play Champions League in Europe in, in two three years, whatever it is, whatever represent his country at the World Cup. There must be there must be something some some uh, something out there for them and not just to come and say, well, let's play two more years and then I stop anyway. Uh, so the league has really developed in that manner. Um, he's looking at the coaches, the coaching is getting better. The academies, I think the MLS next um, now, which is very much based on, on the German model as well with the youth Bundesliga is making, making everybody better. So, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have a, have a slap here at the, at the university system. Not at all. I, I still think that's great, but creating your own players and not wait till you take them out of university makes every club a little bit better because you can already form your players in, in a playing style like what we do as well. Um, uh, the World Cup coming up, so I think uh, you mentioned the ceiling. I think till 26, it's, uh, it will be just a very, very steady steady rise, a steady development. And I think it's up to the people who are here, the people who are working here to, to keep that level. Does the MLS, where is the MLS right now internationally? I mean, you know, we always talk about the big five in Europe. I mean, the Bundesliga, Premier League, La Liga, France and Italy, that's tough to reach. But I think um, it must be the goal for the MLS to reach out roughly to that kind of level in, in the years to come. 
Um, the market is good. Uh, the U.S. is always a, a great country, you know, when it comes to sport, when it comes to athleticism, especially at the young ages as well. So you're having a good group of youngsters who can be developed. The national team looks, in my opinion, good as well for the for the upcoming World Cup. I covered them for, for TV and they look great in Qatar. And the league is getting better. So I think you have all the elements to, to just getting into being a top nation and a top league uh, in the world of soccer as well. And when I think, when I, when, when I can say one thing about the Americans, Americans are never happy to be second best. <laughs> and uh, and there is always the drive to be the best in the world. And I think that that's what the league, that mentality, the league will benefit from. It's better when you hear it from you than from me, Lutz. So you, you put it very eloquently. I'm, the final thing I want to ask you, you know, because we, we saw what St. Louis City did this year and finishing first in the West, uh, qualifying for the CONCACAF Champions Cup, so many other things, uh, setting some new expansion records along the way. Did this at all surprise you? Oh, this was this what you were these the expectations? Because when I see you and I talk to Bradley, I feel like this was like, well, no, this is what we were going to do. Was there, is it a, <laughs> was there any surprise? I mean, uh, I have to dive a little bit back. I mean, you know, when I came, I thought uh, the owners gave me an opportunity to do two things a bit different. Number one, to sign the coach a year before. That was done before uh, and it worked out for most of the teams. Number two, I was able to bring the spine uh, six months earlier. That's, with that's, Bucci, with Klaus, Lutz, that's crazy Lutz. because they, these are great players and they were able to say, okay, I'm going to come, not play at Dortmund. Yeah, a few games, plays, everybody played four games in the next pro. We trained them together, <laughs> you know. I mean, there was a thought behind it because we wanted to give you one quick example, which maybe sums it up very nicely. When Klaus came back home or when Klaus came back to St. Louis in January 2023, he didn't come to St. Louis to start his career for St. Louis City SC. He came home. He had a car. He had a house. He knew exactly where his wife wants to go shopping. And he knew where he gets the best cappuccino. <laughs> so uh, he even had a bank account and a social security number. So he actually called St. Louis his home. That makes a massive difference yeah. than opening a changing room, like a stable where there is like uh, 30 racehorses inside. And then the coach needs to literally have eight weeks time to build a team. That's very, very difficult. So we had that advantage. 12 guys were here already six months before and another 12 or 13 guys came, but we had the basics already set up. That was that was uh, was done. So when when I read that all of you guys, um, uh, I don't know if we, I don't know if you were one of them though. Uh, uh, so we will be we will be the worst team ever. We will finish 13th or 14th, we only will win three games and we are worse than any USL team. Well, when I read that, you know, it kind of like, it made me for three minutes angry, but then it made me actually smile because it will work definitely in our favor. It and, did. Um, and when we had that first ever friendly game against Philly Union in uh, uh, the training camp in Fort Lauderdale, after that game, I knew that we will be competitive. That was the goal. After we won the first five games, I realized that we do have an opportunity to make the playoffs. Would I have expected to finish first in the West? No way. I, I didn't. Nobody did. Did I have it somehow? Did I get the feeling that we have a chance to make the playoffs very early on? I had a feeling about that. But even if we would have missed out by 1.2 points, we still would have had a great expansion season. Now, of course, we... 
we exceeded all expectations. Um, we kind of create very high expectations for the playoffs as well as, of course, for the for the next season. But I think that fortunately, unfortunately, comes with a good first year. And I think we are for the challenge. We know we still can get better. We need to get better. And we just looking forward. I still see us as an outsider. So I still look forward to annoy as many people as possible. <laughs> That's a great philosophy you have there, Lutz. I wasn't one of those that was on that, but I would have probably picked you near the bottom, and I'm happy to be wrong now that I've experienced St. Louis City. If you would have picked us 12, so you would have been already the winner of the whole thing. So. <laughs> I think I had you in front of one other club, or maybe two. We'll just leave. For for argument's sake, I'll say you, I had you picked at 12, so we can be on good graces here. But it's been amazing to see there. I love going to that stadium. It's great. We always heard about St. Louis and how much they love the sport, but many people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this was a way to connect into that, which is a game changer for our sport. First class staff, you have a soft serve ice cream dispenser in the media area, which I mm -hmm. frequent all the time. You're the only one in the league. So that's really important for us. That'll always get you in our good graces as well. But Lutz, it's been wonderful to speak to you and uh, continued success with the St. Louis City here in the uh, the postseason and uh, big picture moving forward. Yeah, um, definitely um, looking forward to what's happening next. You know, we don't have many players who have playoff experience. Uh, in Europe, we don't know really what playoffs is. And that's another challenge for us. But as I said, you know, it's uh, it's for us the playoffs. It's the cherry on the top. Uh, it's um, a new competition completely. That it doesn't matter anymore if you were first, second, or fifth or whatever. So everything starts from ground zero. And again, we need to grind and fight and work, uh, not thinking that we can just play a team off the field. No, that's not our game. We need to work them off the field and stick together as a unit. And I think, uh, yeah, making. People who come to St. Louis, like we want to make you guys up there doing the commentary, we want to make you happy. But we <laughs> want to make the guys who are coming and play against us, we want to make them actually scared, like feel they are visiting hell. And then, you know, I think it's a, it's a win-win situation for everybody. Brilliant. Uh, continue. You're going to enjoy the playoffs, Lutz. I think you're going to have a nice experience there. Lutz Fanishtiel, Sporting Director of St. Louis City, joining us here in the business end. Much more Soccer OG coming up. We'll be right back. no-no in the business. I didn't tease what was coming up in check complete at the end of the business and my apologies. I hope you stuck around. I'm sure you did. This is check complete and long gone are the days where you had this big gala announcing who was going to get the World Cup. Remember that? Remember Seth Blatter? Qatar! The, uh, the intensity of those moments, you know, the, the drama of that room. Not knowing who was going to win it, we this is the information age has taken hold of us. But we were getting whims that maybe Qatar would get it, or or remember when the USA got it in ahead of 1994. Many of you probably don't, but every time and he pull out the envelope and show it, that was exciting. Well, that's not how it's done anymore. It's kind of uh, we get alerted via the press, via social media, and uh, earlier this week. It was announced that the Saudi Arabia bid will be the sole bidder for 2034. This came, you know, a couple of weeks after we found out that 2030, and none of this is etched in stone. It's all going to happen, though. And they didn't say Saudi Arabia is getting the World Cup in 2034, but when you're the sole bidder, <laughs> hello. But this was in 2030 that there was going to be six countries hosting the World Cup, the 
FIFA, though, also giving us a lot of information with this news about 2034. They confirmed that the sole confirmation in hosting 2030 World Cup came from Morocco, Portugal, and Spain. Remember this, and that Uruguay and Argentina and Paraguay were okay with the celebratory game. So I'll, I'll come back to that, but that essentially said that South America didn't want any part of hosting a whole World Cup, or Argentina-Uruguay did. And you would imagine that they couldn't live up to what was required with the infrastructure, with the stadiums, and no surprise. I don't know much more about, I don't know a lot about Uruguay, but Argentina is constantly in economic woe. Not fit really to host a World Cup, not really fit to host uh, a much smaller competition. And we saw it at the 2030. There were photos of the three representatives from the South American countries, and they were all excited. They were smiling like, oh, we like they we're going to host a World Cup when they're going to host a combined three games. And they get to, they, people were upset because they automatically qualify by hosting one game. But Argentina, Uruguay were going to qualify in an expanded World Cup. Paraguay is the one that gets a solid. That would have been the centenary World Cup 2030. And in a perfect world, and we'll talk about, you know, the money. And we, we talk about FIFA greed. And I, we've got to be careful about just throwing that out willy-nilly because... FIFA, for all their flaws, do bring in money and they do share it with countries and federations that need help or they would fall off the map uh, with the development of the women's game, with the youth game. You know, FIFA does those things. I mean, they're, they're looking out for all their parties and it is the world, right? So we have this information. Saudi is the sole bidder for 2034. The sole bidder for 2030 was Portugal, Spain, Morocco, which to me is going to be really a wonderful World Cup when you think about the new Bernabeu and the new camp, all of that, and the history. That's what we want. But we're, are we going to get a lot of that? Well, we might. And that's going to get, I'll get to that here in a moment. So the Saudi bid in 2034, they're going to get it. And that would be the second Middle Eastern World Cup after and sole World Cup by a country, because keep in mind 2022, Qatar. 2026, USA, Mexico, and Canada, although it's mostly USA. 2034, Spain, Portugal, Morocco. I imagine it's going to be heavy Spain, Portugal. But we want Morocco. Africa needs to be represented. And now 2034, I said 2030 was that one, and 2034, Saudi Arabia. And in that process, you've taken out a lot of potential other hosts. 2034 was only going to be either Asia or Oceania. So the other one was Australia, which is part of Asia, although there's a potential maybe to have a split bid like they did with the Women's World Cup, which went out beautifully um, within New Zealand. So there was actually there was actually a, a bid uh, from us, according to the Australian Soccer Federation, where Australia and Indonesia would have co-hosted, which would be really interesting because Indonesia is such a heavily visited country. Uh, no real soccer pedigree, though. Still interesting. And maybe it'd have been two or three games there, and it could help build Indonesia. I'm on board with that. Australian Soccer Federation, his name escapes me. He said the timetable was a little bit of a surprise. He uh, didn't feel that Australia was in a leading position. And basically, he's saying, we're getting out of the way. We're not getting into the ring with Mike Tyson, which was Saudi Arabia, because we're going to get knocked out. Can't blame him for that. Saudi Arabia has it all their ducks in a row, and they got piles of money. 
so we'll get into this in FIFA. And I've done a lot of research, and my, my first instinct is to get upset with FIFA. But I understand that they need to go where the money's at so they can hit their targets for money that they're going to share with the world of football. Gab Marcotti had an article uh, talking about how FIFA is painting themselves in a corner. And first and foremost about the money that is made. Uh, and I think he talked about uh, Johnny Infantino making a little bit over $3 million. Maybe there's some handouts there that were not a lot. $3 million is a lot of money, but it's not what Roger Goodell makes, which is like $30, $40 million. These big CEOs make $20, $30, $40 million, if not more. So Johnny Infantino, on the surface, is not raking it in. He's trying to make money. I'm sure there's a lot of benefits for being the president of FIFA, but he's not making crazy, crazy money. I mean, that $3 million, that's what I make. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You know that. <laughs> so there is that with the, with the money. Um, this is more for FIFA. And Gab also talks about... We're, I, I want to... I'll get back to the article, and I, I want to leave the human rights uh, issues to the side for a moment. Because even Gab's article said they wouldn't meet FIFA's human rights... Um, FIFA's own very human rights limits with regards to having a country hosting the World Cup. You look at Saudi Arabia, there's 13.4 million migrant workers. There is heat protection, much like Qatar. Uh, we, we hear about tragedies with these workers. It's real, okay? We know because Saudi Arabia is growing and growing and growing. And you can't go at that pace without things going haywire, which they do. It, they have a bad human rights issues that have been well documented. Uh, the death of that, again, Kasogi, for, forgive me for forgetting his name, the, the journalist, which has to be accounted for. And that is all in play there. And we talked to a lot of the experts. It's reason enough not to give Saudi Arabia a World Cup by the world standards, by FIFA standards. It's not, doesn't meet FIFA standards. So now, I'm going to leave that out for a moment. I'm going to talk about Saudi Arabia. Qatar didn't do what Saudi is doing. They are investing in the sport. They have a very successful national team compared to Qatar. Saudis beat Argentina. They have made the knockout stages of a World Cup. They have made almost every World Cup. They are really pushing this. And the investment in the sport will help their national team and their league, which we all know, we've talked about it here, is growing by leaps and bounds. The introduction of 50, 60 superstar players headed by Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar, two of the three biggest names in the world of soccer, are playing in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we've had guests here and we've talked about what the Saudis are doing. They have a horrible track record with women's rights. They're creating a women's league that uh, they feel could dominate uh, in the world of women's soccer because they'll pay more. And women will now, instead of going to NWSL or the European leagues, go there and make money. I'm all for that. I think it's amazing. Saudi Arabia is also looking to do other sports. They're serious about sports. Yeah, I mean, we talk about sports washing where they're using sports to spend money so that, you know, it's not really accounted for and they can clean, clean their house a little bit. I truly believe Saudi Arabia wants to build their soccer and whether it's to get a World Cup, which appears it's going to happen, or now they know that they have to build their league from now till 2034 at the very least, they're going to do that. 
And their league's going to get better and more interesting, and we're going to start watching it in many cases. They're doing that with golf. We hear they're doing it with baseball. They're doing it with combat sports. All of that is happening. Saudi Arabia wants to be a destination for these sports. Uh, they just had the Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou fight over there. So there's big events happening all the time, and the sports eyes of the world are focused on there. Saudi Arabia is a bigger country than Qatar. Uh, it's a destination for visitors much more than Qatar. Uh, beautiful beaches, from what I'm told. I'd like to visit it one time. I haven't been able to do it. But, you know, from Jeddah or, or all these places you could go, there's, it's, it's a distinct country. And there is, uh, it, it's, it's different in many ways to Qatar. I, I, I would look forward to a World Cup in Saudi Arabia more so than Qatar. And they have done everything sports-wise to get it. Uh, Qatar has not developed their league like the Saudis have. Qatar has, as I said, no pedigree in World Cups. Saudi does. So there you go. So on the surface, Saudi Arabia is a good host. I have no issue with that. The human rights uh, situation is something we should talk about. But based on what happened in Qatar, it would be hypocritical to punish the Saudis when we did the Qataris. And I don't want to get in there because I don't know enough. Forgive me for being miseducated on that. I want to know more. But looking at it from a sports perspective, which is what I do, and looking at it from the surface. Nobody else wanted to get the 2034 World Cup. That's all there. But what we're seeing now, and Gab Marcotti said that it's in his article, is FIFA's painting themselves in a corner. If South America is okay with getting a game of pop, and now they're off the table, and really only Brazil could host a World Cup, and I don't think they're going to be rushing to do it because they're the one that are most financially stable. Morocco gets that Africa bid, co-hosting it with Spain and Portugal. Morocco and maybe Egypt can get into that game. Um, Gab mentioned, what about a Nigeria-Cameroon 2034 World Cup bid? That sounds great, but there's no way FIFA would take a financial beating if Nigeria-Cameroon. I would also say, I think FIFA should take a beating and do goodwill. and give. They should have given the centennial to Argentina and Brazil and said, look, we're going to lose some money. Maybe these stadiums aren't going to be updated. But then again, FIFA has to keep the visitors safe. And that's got to be part of it. Those are guarantees. And I don't know if you could say that about an Argentina-Uruguay bid or a Nigeria-Cameroon bid. So now you're in a situation where you can't really go to Africa. You can't go to South America, maybe Brazil. You can go to the Middle East. You can go to Western Europe, maybe Russia, which they just did, obviously. Maybe some parts there, but who knows? Can Central Europe host it? Can the Balkans and the Czechs? Poland? I don't know. Germany, yes. Spain, Portugal, yes. France, yes. England, UK, obviously, yes. That's a short list when you look at it. Italy, <laughs> probably <laughs> you could do it North America you can do it USA, Mexico, Canada together or singular and by the way 2034 means the United States or a combined World Cup or Mexico individually are going to get a World Cup maybe as soon as 2038 sounds great I don't want a World Cup in 2038 after we hosted it in 2026 I like the anticipation the very earliest 2042 Hopefully I'm around still. I will be. <laughs> so uh, you see what's happening here. Asia, 
Japan, yes. Korea, yes. China, <laughs> well, let's let's skip on that one for now. The rest of Asia, no. So you can count on two hands almost the places that can host a World Cup. Is that spreading the sport? Is that building the sport around the world? Even the 48-team World Cup is helping that. And having, maybe it's the right way, you know, having these big countries that can spend the money to host the World Cup every 12 years. Like the USA would be guaranteed one every 12 years. Western Europe every 12 years. And somewhere Middle East or Asia. Middle East, Japan, Korea, really. Could host it as well. And maybe that's the way to do it. And then you you make these countries whole by allowing them passage. And, and now you start seeing FIFA's plan, right? And... It's not a bad one. I would love to see, look, I would love to see Argentina, but I, I, I would be worried about going to Argentina based on what I'm hearing and the state of these, th- these stadiums. And Nigeria and Cameroon. There's no other places in Africa. You have South Africa who hosted it, possibly, and then those Northern African teams. So here we are. This is, it's changed so quickly. It's changed in the blink of an eye how the World Cups are being hosted how the bids are going to go, and where the money has to come from. And by, you know, at some point, if London hosted a World Cup and they don't want to do it in 12 years, like, eh, or, you know, the United Kingdom bid, or a France-Germany, you know, these countries do have limits on what they want to spend and build on. And that's going to change, and maybe FIFA changes it a, a whole lot more. But they have gotten so big, it's hard to be making this money and then all of a sudden go back. And I think that's going to make them lean into the Middle East again, where Bahrain will have a World Cup or the UAE will have a World Cup. And I don't want to do that because first and foremost, I don't want to win a World Cup. Uh, I will close with this because people kept saying how great the Qatari World Cup was. Yeah, it was good, but it missed the magic of having games at a, a San Siro or a venue that we know about, right? It just... it. Having these new venues and the proximity, it didn't have that magic to me. And that's a big part of it. And I'm here for change and I'm accepting the change. But just because the Middle East is willing and able, I don't want them to go there. And I don't want to see the Winter World Cup. The Winter World Cup, and we're still seeing it now, caused havoc on the world of football. Everyone had to adjust and they're still adjusting. And it left a big bruise. And... It's supposed to be in the summertime, and that's the way it goes. We're going to get a Winter World Cup in 2034, so adjust your calendars accordingly. But there we are. The Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Always great to join with you on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the Lutz, Fun, and Steel uh, interview. Check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube page under my name, Max Bretos. A new video coming out. I might give my all-time best US MNT 11. What do you think about that? A viewer suggests that I do that, and I'm going to do that. If you have any ideas that you would like to see us execute here, drop me a line on Max Bretto Sports on Twitter X. I'm also on Instagram, wherever it's available. On Leave a comment on my YouTube uh, videos. We will be happy to tackle anything new. Maybe we'll do one for 2034, but you heard all the talking points here. We'll see you very soon. We'll be back next week with more great guests and more great conversation. But until then... Placido Domingo.